Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. Today we have with us a healer and practitioner from the om-heals.com platform that we run, and that is Melody Craft. Melody is known as a soul navigator. She is passionate about guiding spiritual seekers to identify blocks that prevent them from unfolding their unique gifts and awakening to the beauty of their souls. The journey of the soul, she shares, is the hardest thing that a person will ever have to do, and it is also the most rewarding. But what Melody wants you to know is that you don't have to do it alone. Melody holds a master's degree in psychology from St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. She is also a member of the International Absent Healing Team through the InnerQuest Foundation. She has produced and hosted a series of TV specials on A Course in Miracles and the heart and soul of mediumship. As a soul navigator, Melody utilizes her lifelong learning to provide extensive information in guided individual sessions, revealing one's purpose using the gifts and talents each of us has brought into this life. She does incredible sessions, and we are so grateful. You can actually go to om-heals.com and find out if you match with Melody. It's free to find out who you match with. And Melody, let's talk about this. How did you become a soul navigator and what does that mean? Okay. First, thank you, Jennifer, for having me here this today. Initially, my work was as a psychologist, but I never felt like it went deep enough for individuals. And over a gradual period of time, it starts shifting into really focusing on a soul level for people. And I realized one day what I was really doing was helping people navigate their soul. Basically, we have three stages that we go through to really reach that place of awakening. And so most of my clients and most of the people that are going to be listening to you today (laughs) are going to be in stage two because stage two is when we finally realize this world is really not meaningful to me any longer. You've already mastered how to navigate this world on a physical level how to survive. You've been successful at it. And when you reach that peak of, okay, I'm really successful, there's something more that your heart tells you. And so this is when you're in stage two and you decide there has to be another way, a better way. And in stage two, there are many different levels that an individual goes through. And these are shifts in consciousness where they start remembering who they really are. So people never really have to add anything to themselves. They already have everything. So I always tell everyone, what you're doing is you're subtracting, Mm -hmm. not adding to your life. So every time you identify something that is providing a resistance for your happiness and your joy, and you remove that, the soul starts rising and gifts and talents that you have that maybe you weren't even aware of, start emerging. So that's it in a nutshell, <laughs> what a soul navigator does and how I got into it. I want to backtrack because I like to imagine what our audience is thinking as we listen to this. And I hear the audience saying, what's level one? Is it above or below level two? And what's level three? 
Okay, so le what level one is, this is, and I'm going to use Nietzsche's words, because he broke down the stages of spiritual awakening into three different levels. And the first one is he refers to as the camel. Okay, so the camel is an animal of burden. So what we're doing in stage one is we do feel burden because we're carrying a lot of baggage, and this baggage are illusionary beliefs about who and what we are. And so the camel walks the desert where there's no water. And so it feels very exhausting and endless. And at some point towards the end of stage one, you start feeling like this is just too hard. And you start having glimpses of, gee whiz, maybe there's just something more to me that I haven't really realized. And when you reach that point, it's like, I know there's something else, there's a better way. And then you shift into stage two. Ah, oh, got it. So we have stage one, which is that animalistic instinct. We eat to survive, we procreate, we go out there, and we're basically in survival brain, the amygdala, if you will. And then we move into level two, which is almost like the spiritual side of us, that soul aspect of ourselves that we begin to play with and get to know. And then, so what is level three? Okay, so level three, we've reached, let me go back and talk about level two first, so it makes sense when I get to level three. So level two is, you're still between the ego and spirit, mm. which is what you are, okay? And so we're still, we're like, we're walking in two worlds, with one foot in each world. We're still trying to navigate this world on an ego level. We're realizing that there's more to us, so it's very challenging. We reach, we have moments where we are at a consciousness level that's called super consciousness. So it can be a semi super consciousness level and we can be there just for a moment or for longer. When we start mastering that, we start moving into the third stage and the third stage is referred to as the innocent child actually. And we are actually now into the Christ consciousness stage. So within that level, <clears throat> we're in the Christ consciousness level, and then we can also move into the cosmic consciousness. Now, while we're in stage two, we can have these experiences that can last for moments or hours or perhaps days. But then we tend to fall backward into that egoic consciousness, which tells us, okay, don't you remember your body? And then your spirit says, no. And so we're still navigating that and still working on being in that place of stillness and of peace and remembering who and what we are. And so stage two is all about letting go of resistance and of all the illusionary beliefs that we have about ourselves. Now, stage three, there People often ask me, well, is there anyone on this planet that's in stage three? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Something yes, yeah. to aspire to. <laughs> yeah. And these are individuals who have mastered who and what they are. And so they actually have the choice to come back in physical form, to function as teachers for us, or also to stay here and hold the space as healers this planet. Yeah. Ah, you know what's so funny? You just brought up something beautiful, Melody. Do you mind if I share a story? Absolutely. 
So in Kabbalah, they call these the sadikim, right? The righteous. And at any given moment, the righteous, there might be 40 of them that come in and incarnate at a particular time and space. And when these people come in and incarnate, it's really powerful because they are here to teach us and to help us and to really support us. So one of these study came, I don't know how it's possible, but I swear one, my parking garage guy and my old job was one of these such study came. And so Juan was really incredible. I remember one time I went there and he'd say, mi amiga, and we'd always practice speaking in Spanish to one another. And he said, I want to tell you a story. There was once a man who got very jealous of his arch nemesis, his enemy. And so he went out there and he said really bad things. He basically put his enemy down, said he was a bad person, went out and gossiped all over town about him. And then one day he found out his enemy lost his job, lost his wife, lost his family. And this man who had spoken all of this evil speech and gossip said, oh my gosh, what did I do? So he goes to this village where this wise, wise sage is known. And he says to the head, this wise, wise sage, he says, sir, I am wondering if you can help me because you see, I went out and I said all these negative things about my enemy and now he's fallen and I feel terrible. I feel like it's my fault. And the sage sage says, great, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is I want you to go out and I want you to take a pillowcase filled with feathers and go up to the highest point, the highest mountain that you can possibly find. And then I want you to release these feathers upon the valley. And the man is so grateful. He says, thank you. Thank you, dear sage. And he runs out, he gets this huge pillowcase, fills it with these feathers, and then he releases the feathers all over the valley. And he feels a huge sense of relief. And he goes back and he goes to the sage and he says, oh, thank you, sage. You were so right. It felt so cathartic to release those feathers of the valley. And the sage said, but wait, you're not done yet. And the man says, what? What do you mean I'm not done? He said, now I want you to go back and collect every feather that fell upon the valley. And the man looks at him incredulously and says, but sir, that's impossible. There, there were thousands of feathers and I don't know where they ever went. And he said, so too are your words like those feathers that you will never be able to take back. And I will always remember that. And so one, this beautiful study came in my mind, this righteous, this level three spirit that you're talking about. I will always remember that about Juan because he would just interrupt my day. He would interrupt to have these pattern interrupts where I would be busy going to run my company. And then he'd just stop and pause and say, Senorita, do you have time for a story? And to me, at least, Melody, that's what I think of when I think of these beautiful souls who are righteous and elevated that they really are here to teach. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a wonderful story. It's a good example of when people gossip. Mm. Because they don't realize the impact that their words have and how harmful it can be. Yeah, 100%. And what do you think about the idea of the fifth dimension? I have a dear friend, Kimberly Meredith, who I'm sure we'll have on the show at some point. And she wrote a book called Awakening to the Fifth Dimension. And I personally was not as aware until I had read her book of what the fifth dimension was. But from what I understand, it's what you're describing between levels two and three. The 3D being the level two that you're talking about, where we're very egoic and our spirit and ego are fighting with one another. And then you get into the fifth dimension, as she calls it, which would be your level three. And that's the level where 
in her book, she talks about how many of us are bouncing in and out of that level. We might reach 5D, which is love, gratitude, compassion, acceptance, but it's something that not many of us can vibrate and stay in long-term. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I would identify that as the individuals are still in stage two, but they're very close to moving into stage three. St. Augustine said, as he got closer to the light, he would find himself being pulled back quickly. And it's because the ego realizes that it's losing its control over you. And it puts all of its efforts to bring you back in. And so getting close to that point, that fifth dimension, as you refer to it, is really challenging because there's a real strong pull in bringing you back into the egoic consciousness. And so it's very important to be very disciplined, very focused, and really on a very deep heart level moving forward. It's not easy. I always say this journey is actually very simple, but it's not easy. (laughs) We always just have really just two choices for everything in life. We can either come from the ego, which is fear, or we come from love, which is the Course in Miracles refers to as the Holy Spirit. And so people often ask me, if we have fear over here and love over here, what's all this stuff in between? All this stuff in between is anxiety, doubt, stress, all those are components of fear. And so whenever you're in a place where you're feeling uncomfortable, not at ease, to recognize that you're in a place of fear, you're into that egoic consciousness, and realize none of that is true. It's an illusion. We live in this dualistic world that is illusionary, but we believe it's real. And our journey is remembering that it's not real, that we are spirit, and that the essence of what we are is love, which means we're eternal. It means we don't die. (laughs) So when people start recognizing, it takes away the fear of death because they realize we really don't die. So I often think of this world as a hologram. And people, sometimes you'll have an experience where deja vu, you feel like you've done this before, and I think of it as a tear in the hologram because you remember, oh, I've watched this movie before, Mm. (laughs) this life script that I'm living now. When you see it from that perspective, it makes you more detached from the elements of fear, and we can see challenges we have as opportunities, and from each opportunity, There's something that we can learn about ourselves, And I prefer using actually the word remembering than Mm -hmm. learn because we already have everything. We already know everything. It's again, it's about removing all of the blocks that prevent us from remembering. And each block is an illusionary belief that we have about ourselves. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So, Let's pause and remember mm-hmm. <laughs> who we are. For those of us who get angry, it's funny. I was just on a call with a friend a little bit earlier today talking about this. As human beings, Melody, we have emotions, right? Or emotions have us, if we're being really honest. We get angry. We get frustrated. We become resentful. We feel betrayed. How do we move 
from that two realm two self or our ego and our spirit are fighting. Like it's almost like you have these two aspects of yourself, our consciousness, right? There's the one aspect. It's like the devil and the angel, if you will, that old adage. You have this one devil, if you will, call it whatever you want. And it's sitting there going, they suck. You need to punish them. Blah, 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 the ego. And then you have the angel, the spirit, Christ consciousness, whatever you feel resonates to call it. And that's saying, it's okay. It's all an illusion. Love them. How do you begin to reconcile the two and to quiet the voice that says it's bad, it's wrong, it, whatever it is, should not be that way? So what I recommend to people, when you're feeling triggered, when someone says something to you that makes you feel like, oh, being triggered, there's, this is making me uncomfortable, rather than immediately judging and blaming that person, if you can stop and be grateful that happened in that moment and not view, on, look at that individual, but reflect, what did this person just say to me? Because when you're being triggered, it means that you, re, you believe something about yourself that's true, but it's not true. And mm -hmm. that's why it hurts. So now you can look at what it was this person said or did and ask yourself, what is it I'm believing about myself? Because it's not true. And then now you can identify it. And when you do, you bring it to the light and now you can let it go. So when you do that, the next time someone says that to you, you won't even notice it. Hmm. So now you don't have to struggle about, okay, I'm spirit, I'm not supposed to be angry. Because what you're doing is you're removing the illusionary beliefs about yourself. And what it really is while you're being triggered is you're trying to protect your identity. Now, people's identity is just a collection of thoughts, of beliefs that you have about yourself, none of which are true. Yeah, it's funny. I'm going to be very straight with you, Melody, and all of our listeners out there. I just went through this whole process in the 15 minutes we've been having this conversation because you got to love life, right? I don't know how this works for you, but whenever I'm giving a speech on something, training something, teaching anything, I get confronted in the exact area that I'm giving a talk on or doing an interview like we're doing right now. God bless my husband. I heart my husband. He's wonderful. And he literally came in the middle of the interview and I love him. He's like, oh, honey, I'm going to go do a meditation. I'm like, great, honey. I have a show at this time. You know, just be sure we're sorted. And then in walks my husband in the middle of the interview, like off to the side. And I'm literally in the background going, ah, you're like mid talk. What is happening? Go out. I, I dare you to rewind the show. Rewind. That, that dates me. That's when we used to have VCR. <laughs> no, but I don't even know what you would call it. Back the show up and see if you can find the moment in the show without watching the video of when he walked in because it completely derailed me. And I noticed that as you were sharing that melody, and I was doing the internal work for myself, as you were talking out loud, I thought to myself, huh, why I got so activated by that is I had it mean that I'm not important because if I was important, he wouldn't have done that. And he would have respected blah, blah, blah. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just so funny. And so that's when people say, how does life progress on the spiritual journey? The thing I've noticed for myself, and I'd love to hear your two cents on this melody, is that 
when we're on the spiritual path, you're still going to get upset. There's still going to be triggers. There are no, sometimes people think, oh, just because you've done the spiritual work, you meditate every day, that you're not going to have triggers happen. I beg to differ. The triggers still happen. It's how quickly you're able to transform your relationship to the trigger. Is it moments, minutes, or is it hours, days, months, years? And that's really where the personal development and the spiritual and energetic work that you're talking about comes in, right? I've actually found that when people understand what their archetypes are, they can condense time in terms of eliminating these false beliefs and having a deeper understanding about themselves. Because when you're triggered, you can automatically sense what kind of archetype is being triggered with that person who's triggering you and what archetype is being triggered within you. So you may feel like you're being victimized. You can recognize that in the moment, not the next day or the next year. You don't have to drag it on forever, but you can mom- recognize it in the moment. And then you can just really be the observer and you can just watch that person and know that where they're at, that's their issue, that they're projecting on you their own fears and it has nothing to do with you. So now you can be calm and realize, okay, I got triggered for a moment, so I just need to work on that a little bit more. And then sometimes it's just Oh, that, that's very interesting what this individual is doing. And it's not affecting you all. And when it's not affecting you at all, you know you're making progress. And I can't remember where I read it, but I thought it was just really lovely. The way you can determine where you are in your spiritual journey is just ask yourself, how loving am I becoming? Such a beautiful question. And let's go back to the archetypes for a moment, because I want to touch on that. I can hear inquiring minds want to know, are the archetypes, are there only three of them? Is it the hero, victim, perpetrator from the drama triangle? Or are there a myriad of archetypes? And how do you figure out which one you are? It depends on what school of thought you're with. I like the Carolyn Mace archetypes. So according to her, we bring 12 in and we all share the same four, which is the victim, the prostitute, the survivor, and the child. In terms of the child, there's four or five different children that you could choose from. And then we have eight archetypes beyond that. And so these are energy components that we bring into this life, and they're the architects of our life. And so these are energies that we use to navigate our life. And when we understand what ones we have in one of those, we can identify, am I operating on the shadow level? And when you really understand your archetypes when you're in the shadow. and But now you know how to function if you move to the light. So you can shift from the shadow to the light. So you're getting a really clear picture of how you operate. So often people feel lost. They just have trouble making decisions. They don't know what their purpose is in life. They often don't know who they are. The archetypes are really helpful. Do you happen to know offhand, Melody, what the other eight archetypes are aside from the four that you mentioned? I'm just out of... It, it would be different for every person. So your eight would be entirely different from mine. No kidding. Oh my gosh. Now I'm curious about Carolyn Miss. I've always <laughs> met her peripherally at a few events, but I've never studied her work. How fascinating. Yeah. Her work is very good for doing a lot of self-work. So it requires a, a commitment 
and a lot of discipline and a lot of work to really understand it. But when you do, you can shift your life very quickly. So powerful. So talk to us a little bit more about your work. When you're working with someone on a soul navigation, what are the steps that you take them on once you've identified whether they're at a one, two, or three? Okay, so it, it depends again on the individual. Sometimes it's just simply a dialogue back and forth. What I'd like to do initially, for many of my clients, I first I do a group class, usually of six weeks or longer, of the archetypes. So now we know what their archetypes are, so we can work from that level. If we don't do that, then I base the beginning of an individual session actually on numerology, just getting their numbers, okay? Because that is very reliable. Basically, you get the same information as if you did archetypes or an evolutionary astrology. And when we identify what primary energy a person is focusing on for this particular life path, it reveals a lot of information about individuals and the challenges they have, the talents that they have brought through their destiny. And so it's interesting, a lot of people that come to me have a two and a three in their birth number. And the two is all about people just, they want to be of service. They want to help others. They also bring in that energy of not knowing how to create nice, healthy boundaries for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they feel depleted when they're helping other individuals. And they identify it, but many of them think, that's just who I am. I can't change. Mm -hmm. It never occurs to them that they can change. And so I share tools with them how they can, losing their energy, so you have a nice equal flow of energy back and forth when you feel fulfilled when you're being of service you're actually much more effective so i always tell people okay so you're a rescuer because you have a two in your name so when you see someone that needs help you just on a you have this habit formation where you immediately jump in and want to rescue that person and so i suggest the next time you see someone who needs help i want you to take one step backwards. Physically take one step backwards and take a breath. Now you're not reacting. You're going to respond. And you want to ask yourself this question. If I step in and help this person in this moment, am I going to be disempowering them, not allowing them to learn how to become empowered and walk on their own two feet? And the answer you receive will tell you whether you should step in or not. So it's really simple. You can do something that simple. I love that. What a beautiful technique. And as somebody who is a person who often <laughs> jumps in, I, was, I, I think it's probably my numerology and the fact that my mother was a nurse for 40 years. My dad was a firefighter. But if I ever saw a tragedy or something awful happen, even though I'm not trained as a first responder, the first thing I would do is respond. <laughs> And jump in, but I can see it's almost more reactionary versus responsive. And it really is powerful when you think about our automatic patterning. And what if, rather than being at the effect of our automatic patterning, we could choose it and dance with it and be in harmony with it? Absolutely. And so we choose these energies to bring in because we've had them in a previous life and we had we did not master them. So we decided as we incarnated, okay, in this lifetime. I'm going to master these. 
I'm going to be of service and it's going to be wonderful because I'm going to do it in a way that I feel great and I can be most beneficial to other people. I love it. You know what I just saw in my mind's eye as you said that, Melody? I literally saw like a curriculum forum, soul school, PhD, abandonment. Oh, I'm going to check off the two box. So that way I'm always going to jump in and try to help people and get rejected and feel abandoned. But it's I think it was James Von Pra who I read his book years ago, Adventures of the Soul. And he literally said, we all come down here and we're in soul school. And you forget that you asked to get a PhD in abandonment, in financial consciousness, whatever it is. And the moment we can laugh about it, play with it, and not be at the effect of it, we really gain our power back. Absolutely. I always say laughter is good on this journey. When you find yourself sliding back rather than beating yourself up just laugh at it you don't want to judge yourself and when we stop judging ourselves, what happens it's no longer in our energy system which means we can't judge anyone else because it's just not there anymore so powerful my friend we have had the incredible Melody Craft, Soul Navigator from om-heals.com with us here today on Regarding Consciousness. Melody, what are your closing thoughts or wisdom for anybody who might, maybe there's something we didn't get to talk about or something, a little pearl of wisdom you'd love to leave our listeners with? I would like people to know that no matter where they're at in this moment, that they're all going to reach their destiny. They're all going to reach a point where they feel fulfilled, where they are in a place of peace, and realize that they're love. And so they will no longer be asking for love. They'll be extending it. And we're all going to get there. Beautiful, Melody. And if people want to connect with you, again, you can go to om-heals.com and find Melody there or answer our questions to see if you match with her. But you can also reach out to Melody directly. Melody, where would you want people to go for your website? It's melodycraft.com. <laughs> Pretty easy. <laughs> Pretty easy. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us, Melody. And thank you to each of you for your listening and your trust in us. It's such a pleasure to have you join with us. Please do feel free to share the episode, leave us any comments or feedback, and wishing you a beautiful week filled with blessings. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.